Welcome to Airway Breathing Conversation, a podcast presented by the anesthesiology residents at the University of Saskatchewan, created to provide individuals of all levels of medical knowledge with anesthesiology-related healthcare information. On this episode, we speak with staff anesthesiologists Dr. Lei Shaw and Dr. Justina Koshinsky about what it actually means to be an anesthesiologist. We also listen to what patients believe anesthesiologists do and clear up some common myths and misconceptions about our specialty. Now, whether you are an anesthesiologist, resident, medical student, or member of the general public, come take a break with our host, Anesthesia PGY3 Alex Pellerin, and a multitude of brilliant and insightful guests as we demystify the incredible specialty that is anesthesiology, one episode at a time. For this episode, we asked patients at our preoperative assessment clinic what they think anesthesiologists do, both inside and outside the operating room. These are some of their answers. Uh, it's the, uh, the doctor that's in charge of putting you to sleep when you're having a surgery. Keeps track of the patient during surgeries that's when putting them to sleep, getting them out of putting them to sleep. Um, making sure everything, all the, I, I think they're in charge of all the vitals of of the patient as they're asleep. I think they're, they're the ones that monitor all that. He puts people uh, under, puts people under so they can operate on them, I guess. They put a mask over your face. And they put you out so they can operate on you. There's no pain. I think you prepare people for the operating room. I mean, you talk to them and you prepare them like I just had done here five minutes ago. Uh, one who gives, um, I don't know how to explain it, <laughs> uh, and anesthetics to put people under when they're having surgery. Uh, I guess, I don't know. I never thought about that. In the operating room, they make sure your lungs are good, your heart is good, your breathing's good. They maintain your whole body while the operating operation is being performed. I still think that as long as the patient is in the hospital, they go back and they check on that patient, see if there's any, any uh, post-op uh, complications or anything. My understanding, an anesthesiologist um, in the OR monitors your, your blood pressure, your heart rate, your breathing. And if there's any complications, they'll let the doctor know that's doing the surgery. And that, that's my understanding what the... What their job is um, outside of the operating room. I, th as from what I'm, my understanding is, they'll they'll come to come to recovery to check on you, and make sure everything is you're doing fine, and you're coming out of the anesthesia, it, it's coming out of it okay, and, and just same thing, kind of just monitoring your your blood pressure and your heart rate and all that stuff too. So um, there is an amazing group called the Canadian Anesthesiologist Society, also known as CAS, and it's the National Specialty Society for Anesthesiology in Canada. Um, it was founded in 1943. It's a not-for-profit voluntary organization and is guided by its vision of transformative patient care with its mission to serve members and advance the specialty through leadership, advocacy, education, and research. Um, today, we are going to be talking to two amazing anesthesiologists in Saskatoon about their day-to-day -day practice, and our goal for this episode is to explain that anesthesiology is so much more than putting people to sleep for surgery. So, Seb, what is anesthesiology? So, uh, the definition of anesthesiology is that it's a branch of medicine dedicated to total care of a patient undergoing surgery or relief of pain. And so total care includes preparing you for the surgery beforehand, being responsible for the pain relief in the early recovery phase, as well as treating any complications that might arise as a result of the anesthetic. Anesthesiology has been a leader in ensuring that patients stay safe during their surgeries as well as after. Um, anesthesiologists... Before your operation, they'll likely meet with you and they're a specialist physician that will be giving you this anesthetic during your surgery. And they're a vital member of the surgical team as they're responsible for keeping you safe and comfortable throughout the entire operation. Anesthesiologists 
they oftentimes give you IV drugs and they're actually the um, specialists that give the most IV drugs than any other type of physician combined. Um, and by IV, I mean intravenous. And so anesthesiologists are the only physicians with expert knowledge of the extreme potent drugs during your surgery to ensure that you sleep and stay comfortable during your surgery. Or when needed, if, they, if you might need regional anesthesia as well. Uh, and then they're very familiar with all medical conditions and their implications for patients undergoing a wide range of surgeries. They have the experience in giving an anesthetic for all surgical procedures, and they provide care to all ages, from premature babies all the way to great-great-grandmothers. Awesome. Um, and there's a significant amount of training that anesthesiologists have to undergo and able to in order to practice. Um, so Canadian trained anesthesiologists are physicians who have completed a pre-medical degree followed by medical school, then five or more years of training called residency, which is what um, Seb and I do now in the field of anesthesiology. So the average amount of training time after high school is 13 to 15 years. Um, which it's is a, a long lot. time. Yeah. <laughs> we can both attest to. We've been in school for a long time. Uh, during residency, anesthesiologists are extensively trained in human physiology, which basically means how the body works, particularly the brain, heart, lungs, kidneys, and liver. And they spend time working in internal medicine areas such as respirology and cardiology to be able to know those things. At least six months of our training is spent in critical care units, such as the coronary care unit, neonatal ICU, pediatric, and adult ICUs. By the end of our training, we have become experts on anesthesia, resuscitation, critical care, and pain management. We then uh, take the specialty examinations of the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Canada and become certified specialists in anesthesiology. Anesthesiologists who have completed their training in other countries may take the same specialty exams after a thorough process to ensure that their training meets the high standard of um, our Canadian uh, specialists. As a special group in Canada, um, there's also anesthesiologists that work in rural areas, which are family um, practice anesthesiologists who have trained to be family physicians and then complete extra training uh, to be able to provide um, surgical services to people in rural areas. Mm -hmm. And we have those people uh, training in our department right now. Um, and what about care outside of the operating room, Sebastian? So I think this is one of the biggest misconceptions about anesthesiologists is that although most of our work is done in the operating room, providing anesthetics for patients during their surgeries, um, in a lot of hospitals, uh, there's also a lot of work being done outside of the operating room and sort of throughout the, the hospital that we'll touch on a little bit as well later. And so you can often find anesthesiologists in the intensive care unit or the ICU, as well as the maternity ward, providing anesthesia for C-sections or providing epidurals during their uh women's labor, as well as in the pre-admission clinic or PAC clinic, um, where we'll follow up with patients prior to their surgery to review them and see if there's anything that we can help manage before their surgery so that they can stay safe and comfortable in the operating room as well. And then lastly, we also have a chronic pain clinic um, in Saskatoon as well, where anesthesiologists both uh, do uh, interventional and medical approaches to managing patients' chronic pain. And so then in larger hospitals, they're the leaders of acute post-operative pain team, or APS for short. And more and more procedures are now being done without an open surgery called minimally invasive surgery. And anesthesiologists are often involved in these cases, which can take uh, place either in the radiology department or, cardi or cardiac departments as well. And so many of these procedures need an anesthesiologist and you'll be either heavily sedated or under a general anesthetic um, for some of these cases as well, which uh, anesthesiologists will provide. All of the information that we um, discussed uh, in this episode today is from the Canadian Anesthesiology um, Society website, the CAS website. So if you have more information that you'd like to know about the field of anesthesiology or what to expect if you're coming for surgery, that's a really um, great option that you can Google and go to their website for more information. All right. Well, welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. Um, today, we have two of our amazing uh, anesthesiology staff members here joining us. The first is um, Dr. Leigh Shaw. Hello. And Dr. Justina Kuszynski. Hello. 
who are very esteemed members of our department here at the at the U of S. Um, and today we're going to talk about um, what anesthesiologists actually do on a day to day basis. Um, at the beginning of the episode, you will have heard um, some patients who uh, discussed what they felt anesthesiologists uh, do day to day. Some of them were accurate and maybe some a little bit less accurate. So hopefully in this episode, by the end of the episode, whether you're a member of the general public, a patient that we'll be seeing soon, um, or a medical student interested in anesthesiology, you'll have a much better understanding of what, uh, what we do day to day. Awesome. Okay. So I think before we get started with all of the quest- the formal questions, maybe I could ask both of you why you chose to be anesthesiologists. Like what drew you to the field of anesthesiology? Uh, well, going into, I guess, in med school, I, um, I was thought I wanted to become an emergency physician. And everybody had said that, well, no matter what kind of physician, what specialty you want to match to, you should always make sure that you do at least one elective in anesthesia because they will teach you life-saving skills that you can take anywhere to any specialty. So I followed that advice and I did one of my very first electives in anesthesia. And I just got more and more excited to come to work every single day of my elective. And a big part of that was um, I have a physics background. And so I think one of my big aha moments was when I realized that there was an actual gas analyzer comparative to mass spectrometer or gas chromatography in the anesthesia machine that that was like, wow, this is amazing. And then when I started applying fluid mechanics to how fast my IVs could run and how high I could raise them up depending on the gauge of the IV I put in the patient, how quick I could get fluid in and the ultrasound waves and the ultrasound machine and the physics behind that. Um, And then the compliance of the circuit for breathing as well as the compliance in an arterial line and how it affects your monitoring. That whole physics aspect of the day-to-day practice really um, keeps it very, very interesting for me. Uh, Also, I find that that, um, those moments of everything is well planned out, yet there's always this little hint that everything could change on a dime, Mm -hmm. keeps it rather exciting. Um, so when you never quite know what's around the corner, even though you plan and you prepare and you do everything you can to mitigate anything bad happening, there's always a little kind of anxiety, queasiness in the stomach that, I don't know, goes good with a, you know, adrenaline junkie rush seeker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so those are kind of things that I really like about it. Thanks. Nice. Amazing. I, I just thought it was cool. That's why I did anesthesia. <laughs> it's cool. Uh, yeah, I know. It's super cool. It's very cool. cool. Uh, I, you know, when I was in med school, I, uh, I was lucky enough to uh, shadow uh, Dr. Wendy Gore-Hickman. Uh, and, uh, you know, she had me come into the operating rooms, uh, started me doing IVs, putting intubating people. My first intubation was a nasal intubation. She said, just put it in through the uh, the pearly white gates. And I'm like, all right, put them through. And, uh, you know, afterwards, uh, you know, look back and it's like, oh, that was so cool what I did and, you know, helping people out. And so each time sort of coming back to anesthesia, experiencing it again, you get that same feeling, that rush of of adrenaline, but at the same time, that uh, sense of satisfaction that you're helping people out there as well. And so um, it just always appealed to me. Uh, some of that hands-on aspect of things really uh, excited me. Obviously, you guys know I, I love regional anesthesia, so the tech of ultrasound and how uh, you can provide anesthetics uh, differently you know, to a patient and, and have them be awake through the whole process as well. So I think there's ju- there was just so much to explore in anesthesia. And um, yeah, that's, I think for, for me, that's what, uh, what drove me to do anesthesia. Nice. Yeah. And Seb, I'm sorry, you're also here. Yeah. <laughs> I was here last time. So was okay. here last time. We asked Seb to come back. Seb has a nice sounding voice. We thought it was good for podcasting. He's also one of our top R1s. Um, so we asked him to come back for this episode as well. And thanks again for Thanks for having us. me. Yeah. Um, so what drew you to anesthesia? 
Yeah, I was sort of late to the game as well, uh, to anesthesia. And so I wasn't too sure going into medicine what I wanted to do. And then late into my third year was when I did my anesthesia rotation. Um, and kind of like what Dr. Kuczynski and Dr. Shaw both touched on already was that it's so versatile and different every day, which was something that uh, I really enjoyed because I like doing different things all the time. Um, but one thing that really sticks out to me is that it's such a unique approach to patient-centered care as well, where um, you're really just focusing on that one person. Um, and although you're just part of their life for, you know, a day or something while they're getting that procedure, that procedure is really important to them. And so you get to provide care that way, which I think is really unique to the field of anesthesia. Um, but then uh, all the different techniques that you can apply, I kind of um, liken it to cooking a little bit where with every case, there's just a little bit of a different recipe that you use with different patients mm -hmm. that um, keeps it a little bit different and interesting every day, which is really fun. So. Yeah, absolutely. There's such a science to anesthesia, but there's also such an art yeah. as well. Yeah. And absolutely. I really like that you likened it to cooking because I yeah. love cooking yeah. and I love baking. <laughs> absolutely. And, and you can see so much of it in, in what you do. Yeah. And sometimes you're super exact when mm -hmm. you're baking something and sometimes you're just sprinkling it in yeah. and tasting yeah. it and seeing mm -hmm. how it, it all comes together. And sometimes it's a, a, a pleasant surprise at the end there as well. Right. Yeah. So it is, you know, for, for people who don't do medicine, I think that's a wonderful way mm -hmm. of explaining uh, anesthesia. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. absolutely. yeah. And no, no two cases are really the same. Mm -hmm. no, so there's something yeah. always different, different yeah. patient, different medical conditions that they have, different considerations. Yeah. Lots, lots and lots to think about. Awesome. Um, and then before entering medical school, what did what did you guys think anesthesiologists actually did? Because I know I was like, <laughs> so I was a nurse before entering um, medical school. And I remember doing my final practicum in the OR. And my first experience with anesthesia was this very like cool guy sitting in the corner. Um, I think he was like maybe reading, but he like did all these things super, super fast at the beginning, like got an IV right away, like intubated the patient so quickly and then charted it up. And then it was like, oh, wow. Okay. They do a lot of stuff at the beginning and the end. And I'm not really sure what goes on in yeah. the middle. Yeah. yeah. And and I think that's one of the challenges for the general public and people who, who've never experienced anesthesia is you don't know what we do. And mm -hmm. even before I started uh, into medicine, I had previously had surgery, but never even knew about the anesthesiologist mm -hmm. until I uh, learned about it in med school. And so um, outside of perhaps uh, labor and delivery, I think that's the one place that uh, we really shine and people actually remember who <laughs> yes, we are. Yes. Yes, uh, and when, very you know, and yes. we're very appreciative of that uh, when we're up there and certainly our patients are as well. Um, oftentimes we're just that that silent person who's mm -hmm. who's uh, people don't even know we're there, but we're uh, providing great care. And uh, usually if they uh, don't remember what happened with us, that's probably uh, we did our job really well. You know? Yeah. Mm hmm. Yes. No, I I really had no idea of the true scope of what an mm -hmm. anesthesiologist does. I knew that they were involved in putting you off to sleep for an operation and waking you up again. Mm -hmm. uh, that was about the extent of my uh, knowledge prior to med school. Um, and honestly, I would say even through first year anesthesia residency, I was still learning what an anesthesiologist really did and what our scope of practice was. Because, mm -hmm. um, yeah, here at the U of S, we have these things that trainees go through on Wednesday called talk rounds. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting in talk rounds with my cohort of R1s. And we would, people would, seniors would present a case from the week. And us R1s, we would look at each other and our eyes would go wide and we'd be like, holy crap, what have we gotten ourselves into? As these cases were presented and our eyes were like opened wide to more of the broad spectrum of what an anesthesiologist actually does and our role um, within the hospital. Mm -hmm. So yeah, even choosing it as a specialty, I had lots to learn and lots to uh, lots of eye-opening opportunities afterwards as to what my role actually is absolutely yeah no I mean I had no idea going into medicine what anesthesiologists did and like I said it wasn't until my third year that I realized sort of I got a little taste of what it sort of was um, one thing that really stuck out to me when I was doing that initial rotation was I somehow 
got scheduled to be in an awake craniotomy case, which was pretty cool as a med student. And just being able to see all the different thinking that the anesthesiologist was doing on that day to keep the patient comfortable and keep them safe during their procedure. And we were chatting with them a little bit too, which I thought was wild because this person's having surgery and we're helping them get through that, but they're still talking to us um, the whole time, which I thought was really cool. So those are fun cases. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Those are really interesting cases. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And now Try maybe if you could try to take us through a regular day in the operating room. So how does your day look? Uh, depending on the day, it may even start the night before. Indeed, um, <laughs> <laughs> because we have a, a wide spectrum of types of days. Some we could classify as perhaps easier, more routine in the sense that it is. Cases that are perhaps a little bit less complex have a little bit less of an impact on um, someone's physiology uh, So and with healthier patients, so they're a little less demanding versus a day that is someone who is desperately ill, um, having very, very complicated surgical things done um, to them that result in wide changes in their physiology, which requires a lot more planning and um, input on our part to manage and mitigate those changes to keep that patient safe. Um, and to improve their chance of having an uneventful recovery after surgery. So sometimes it starts the night before, um, but really basically the day um, once you have that pre-prep done is you show up when I usually show up 7, 7.15 in the morning for an 8 o'clock start because I, I like to have my room set up. I like to kind of settle into my space and kind of chill for a little bit, uh, allows me to get the room prepared for the day so that the day runs smoothly. Um, And yeah, we do a lot of prep work. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anesthesiologists, I guess we plan. We plan for success. Um, We don't hope that it's going to happen. And so lots of work goes in at the beginning so that we can have hopefully a smooth sailing day where we can sit down and chill during a case. Right. But if you yes. see an anesthesiologist sitting down and chilling during a case, it's because they've done a lot of work up front mm-hmm. um, before the patient even enters the room. So getting all that stuff ready for the day, no matter what it is, if it's one case or if it's 15 cases because you have an ENT slate, um, it's really planning it out. I, Some of us do have the saying, we like to stay prepared so we don't have to get prepared or Absolutely. stay ready so we don't have to get ready. Um, That's Mm -hmm. one of my philosophies. And then you just go and you see your patients for the day. You have a quick conversation with them, which I think is something that's also very unique to our specialty. We Mm -hmm. have to gain their trust in a very, very short amount of time. um, Because really we are doing an anesthetic is the ultimate loss of control, I think, for a patient. Mm -hmm. And while they may not be in, in the sense of a general anesthetic, they're not aware that you have complete control over their physiology, but they have at least even patients who do not know a lot about anesthesia or surgery, they do have a sense that they are not in control, Mm -hmm. I find. And so for them to hand over their well-being to your hands is is a privilege um, uh, not to be taken lightly. It's also responsibility. Uh, And so that prep work going into that so you can care for those patients um, and look after that trust they placed in you, I think is really, really important. Mm -hmm. And you go through that patient by patient, whether it's one or 15 for the day, um, take them to recovery, manage them throughout their recovery room stay. But that's usually from afar uh, because the nurses are doing the hands-on work in recovery room, but sometimes they need help and you have to go back or you have to manage things on the phone. Um, through the recovery room. And when the day is done, um, hopefully everything's gone well. It's one of our uh, nice things I find in our profession. We get to go home. Mm -hmm. And other than maybe thinking about what's going to happen the next day, depending on the type of patients you have, you kind of get to go home and be done. There is not a lot of stuff to follow up on in the evening. 
Um, but of course, there are cases that stick with you and you think about. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you do take them home with you. And you Absolutely. need to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you need yeah. to have people you can talk to about that too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's a that's great going through one of our ordinary general anesthetic days, I think. Um, some of the other things that, that we do, uh, for example, obstetrics is a very different yes. type of day. Uh, we start either around 7.30 or 8 o'clock uh, is when our, our two anesthesiologists start on labor and delivery. And uh, usually during the week we have scheduled C-sections. So one of us will go and, uh, you know, see the uh, mom who's coming in for a scheduled C-section and chat with them, find out about uh, sort of their plans and uh, generally for the C-sections, we're doing spinal anesthetics. So what that means is we are, uh, the patient is awake during the whole process and we get them sitting up. We put a tiny little poke in the back, but freezing in and then they get frozen from their chest on down, but then they get to be awake and um, get to see the birth of their uh, child or children, depending on how many they're having, uh, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know, <laughs> and they get to experience that along with their their partner or support person who's there as well. So it's a very uh, different kind of day. You're, you know, you're their cheerleader. You're there to take good care of them, make sure that everything is going well. Obviously, we're always prepared for things to go sideways in those situations, but oftentimes we're lucky to be be part of the celebration of a, of a new birth and uh, be the first family photographer, yes. uh, <laughs> be the one who... Another uh, unknown skill yeah, set you need to develop. That's right. <laughs> yes. That's right. Uh, sometimes the dad, you know, gets lightheaded or faints, and so we're there to, to <laughs> resuscitate yep. them. And uh, yeah, it, it kind of takes on a whole different... Uh, different meaning of that. And obviously, we're there to provide epidural care for uh, other uh, laboring patients coming in. Um, and then, uh, obviously, those uh, emergency situations where they're having emergency C-sections that we have to very quickly uh, get them off to sleep mm-hmm. for, for or having complications after delivery as well. So we're there to deal with those as well. So mm-hmm. um, it's a it's a very different day and, and uh, it's quite nice. I, yes. I like that. It's kind much of, less planned out, though. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. You have to be more flexible. You have to be much more mm-hmm. flexible and it's... It's more of that what's around the corner, what's coming next um, right. type of day. There are, I mean, you can always kind of count on the C-section and the epidural, mm-hmm. um, but you don't really know if you're going to have 20 of them that day or if mm-hmm. you're only going to have one. Um, you don't know how hard they're going to be, how mm-hmm. challenging the situations are going to be. Um, so, yeah, it can be a much more uh, of a surprise type of day. Uh Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, because we are uh, a training center for, for learners, uh, that drastically changes our day as well. Uh, so some days we may have uh, very senior residents uh, who are in there and we can uh, watch from a bit f- afar and, and watch them grow and sort of do the skills and gain that independence. Whereas other days we may have more junior learners or even medical students who are there and we're there to help, you know, provide that education in a safe way for both the patient and for uh, the learners. And uh, I think that's also quite rewarding. I think, you know, most patients are very uh, accepting of having learners there, realizing this is how we train more doctors, you know, and and especially for Saskatchewan, where we uh, we, we definitely want more of those uh, people to stay. And then at the same time, for those learners, it's quite, uh, quite nice, because you're you remember, you, I, at least for me, I think back of when I was in their stage and in their shoes, uh, how exciting that was, how new everything was, and how important those uh, t- that time was to be well-trained so that now that I'm done, I feel well-prepared uh, to be able to take care of patients. So I think it's a, it, it changes up your day, um, but it's, a, it's definitely for the better. For sure. Absolutely. And I think two important things to emphasize that you both discussed was building uh, rapport with patients quickly. And um, you, you do have to gain people's trust very quickly because then all of a sudden you're the number one person that is taking care of them and their number one advocate in the operating room. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a really important point to emphasize. How about the nighttime? Just the, nighttime. the nighttime. The nighttime. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are lots of aspects about the nighttime that I I actually love. <laughs> uh, but I guess that comes back to a bit of the adrenaline junkie in me. I don't I actually don't mind not knowing what's coming next. 
Mm-hmm. Um, uh, although some people would say that they don't believe that if you look at me with an elective slate and you try to change what's on the elective slate, then I get a little <laughs> bit grumpy. But if I'm actually on call, um, then I, I, I thrive on it. I, I like the uncertainty of what's coming next, um, the uncertainty and kind of being prepared for anything mm-hmm. um, around the corner when you don't know if it's going to be, you know, taking out someone's appendix and they're relatively healthy or maybe that appendix has popped wide open and that person is very, very sick or is it going to be a trauma patient that is losing a lot of blood and is very, very unstable? Um, You just never know what's around the corner and that brings a lot of spice to uh, the night but it also means that we have to maintain a very high skill set that is very, very diverse and maintain our expertise in resuscitation, um, as well as skill-based procedures such as placing lines um, and intubating sometimes some very, very difficult airways uh, to help our patients be as safe as they can be and to give them the best chance at recovery if possible. Absolutely. Yeah, and I find uh, certainly friends and family members are sometimes surprised that we work at night. And I said, yeah. you know, anybody can have <laughs> surgery at any time of the day or Absolutely. weekends. Uh, we got to be there. And I think the other piece that people find surprising is that we're not just in the operating room, right? Yeah. We're mm-hmm. found in all sorts of places around the hospital, mm-hmm. um, certainly labor and delivery and pediatrics, uh, you know, and at uh, in this uh, uh, Dubai Center here, we do um, uh, ECT treatments mm-hmm. there. We're uh, found in the interventional suite to do um, uh, advanced uh, neuro- neurosurgery type of things there. Uh, yeah, basically anywhere in the hospital. Uh, you can find an anesthesiologist who is there to to um, do uh, to assist with either a medical procedure or to be helping to resuscitate or manage someone's airway where we can be found uh, anywhere. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was a big eye opener for me, I think, as well, because until I started doing anesthesiology, I didn't realize that at any given time there's a certain amount of anesthesiologists always in the mm-hmm. hospital covering all these different roles like being the um, code blue doctor. So if your heart was to stop um, on the ward or something traumatic was to happen on the ward, they come help and resuscitate you. Um, There's an anesthesia resident that goes to every trauma case uh, Mm -hmm. that comes through the hospital because RUH is our major trauma center. And then just like you were saying, you Mm -hmm. know, people are on obstetrics. People are covering surgeries that have to happen overnight. There's an anesthesiologist that goes to all of the cardioversions. Mm Right. Or that sees patients during the day to get them ready for surgery in the coming days. Um, So there's just so many different different roles. And we're we kind of everywhere. We're like this sprawling. And it's and it's really cool because our, our role is growing. So if you mm-hmm. look at things like I didn't appreciate this when I was a resident, but I much I do a lot more as a as a leader in our department here now is that for example endoscopy, so where you get colonoscopies or gastroscopies where they're putting cameras down your uh, down your throat in other places uh, that the <laughs> that they that the surgeons or the internists who are doing these procedures really enjoy having us there to provide better sedation for the patients. Um, they, we sometimes even get calls for patients that are very challenging uh, mm-hmm. to do, and they, they want us there more and more and uh, able yeah. to provide better care for our yeah. patients. And for lots of those patients, if we weren't able to come, they would not be able to get their procedure, which means that maybe there would be a cancer diagnosis that was delayed or missed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think being available and being able to provide that care not just in the operating room is very critical for patient safety and the well-being of our society. Absolutely. And I think even just looking further ahead, I think with a lot of gynecological procedures that have been done in the office or, you know, with no Mm -hmm. sedation or anything, I think those things are starting to change as well. I think we're recognizing that the benefits of having anesthesia to make things more comfortable to to, rather than just, you know, trying to tolerate it, but to actually provide good anesthetic care for them, I think is super important. Mm -hmm. Totally. I think um, one other sort of underrated part of our job that I discovered earlier this year was pain rounds as well, a little bit, and that we actually play a huge role in patients' post-operative pain when they've had a major surgery um, and just helping them along their way to get them back home um, where they're able to recover there as well. And so um, 
just making sure that patients are comfortable in hospital and then they're able to recover well here and then um, slowly get mobile again and then get back to their day-to-day at back home, I think is a underrated part of our job too that we do. So yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And and pain, I think, is is a huge part of our, our profile. And that's mm-hmm. something that I really enjoy is, you know, with regional anesthesia, we can do surgeries with people awake, right? Someone can be operated on their hand and we do a uh, a brachial plexus block and they can be wide awake and then they can finish up their surgery, have no pain, be able to go home and recover more comfortably at home. Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge, huge benefit. Or after surgery, they're having a lot of pain. We can do different types of blocks that can, again, help manage their pain with local anesthetic rather than the opioids that can make them drowsy, confused, all those other uh, unwanted side effects that we can try and avoid as well. So I think it's a we're it's also cool. yeah we're also you know, very yeah. comfortable with all of the different types of yes, medications yes. that can be used yeah. to manage yeah. pain yeah. um and so we'll be able to optimize mm-hmm. those medication regimes um and tailor them to individual patients absolutely um which i think lots of our other colleagues just because that's not their area of specialty mm-hmm. don't even necessarily recognize that some of those medications can be used to uh, optimize pain control in their post-operative patients absolutely um, and not only do we provide um, sedations for people to get minor procedures, we also provide sedations for people to be able to get CT scans or MRIs because yes. um, many people are very claustrophobic mm-hmm. or just will not, to- you know, can't tolerate the noise or, or what have you. And um, again, those are very life-saving diagnostic procedures. Um, so we play a very important role there as well. Or if someone has a pacemaker or an implantable device, um, that we have to shut off uh, in order for the MRI to happen, then an anesthesiologist will be there with you, uh, making sure that your vital signs are good and everything is going well. And if anything was to happen and that device needed to go off and it couldn't because it was shut off, then we would um, come in and help manage that situation. So kind of there all the time when you need us. Yeah. Yeah. That's the most interesting thing I've found about anesthesiology is anytime someone is in crisis or really needs help to stay alive, an anesthesiologist is there. Yeah. Yeah, I find even lots of my family members who don't have a medicine background or more of a benchtop science type background, they often, and any physician will be familiar with this, they're like, oh, what's this right here, right? And I know my line is always like, I can't tell you what that is. But if you were actively trying to die, then I'm your doctor. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so when you talk about being in crisis, um, yeah, that is very, very much what we do. Uh, although we do have our elective slates in Absolutely. the OR where people are not in crisis at that moment. Um, they could become in crisis, which we're trying to avoid, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but definitely we have that major, major role within the hospital system with the traumas and the codes and the unstable people and assisting with resuscitation. And that's one of our main um, and very important skill sets. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and I think it's also important to recognize that um, beyond doing uh, your anesthesiology residency and becoming an anesthesiologist, many of our staff have done extra training in specific areas, which is referred to as a fellowship. Um, So we have a few staff members in our department who have done extra training to be um, intensive care uh, physicians, um, which is very much like critical care and and very sick and ill patients is sort of what we've been talking about to sort of write Mm -hmm. up Anesthesia's Alley. We've had other... um, other staff that have gone and done regional fellowships, like Dr. Shah has already been uh, chatting about and doing uh, using ultrasound to provide um, freezing to a certain part of your body so that you'd be able to tolerate the procedure for surgery and also have pain control after surgery. Um, and then we have anesthesiologists that um, have specialized in, in cardiac anesthesiology. Um, so they help with all of the bypass surgeries or valve replacement surgeries that happen, which is a whole nother skill set. Um, so it's kind of endless about the amount of training that we can receive in all the different areas. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I had the pleasure of going to 
uh, and working in Toronto Western, where it's one of the regional fellowship training uh, programs there. And I got to learn from some of the world's kind of best uh, regional anesthesiologists and bring some of those skills back here as well. And uh, we also have uh, people who do additional training in uh, whether it be a master's in education or myself, I did a master's in leadership. And so you see anesthesiologists sort of in that teaching role in the university or in um, leadership positions as well. I think there's a, a simulation fellowships yeah. that people uh, can do as well. So there's quite a quite a wide breadth of things that you can do on top of the yep. clinical that practice clinical, that we yeah. do, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah, you mm -hmm. should talk about that, Dr. Kushinsky, all yeah, the things that you do for a simulation. Sim. Well, I do not have a simulation fellowship. I have, However, I have a baby course in simulation, <laughs> um, but I am one of the co-directors of um, the simulation program for our residents and sort of staff, although staff don't get as much of an opportunity like as residents do. do. Awesome. <laughs> um, and we provide our residents with a, guess, a five-year rotating curriculum and they get exposed to 15 cases per year. Um, during that five years. So that's seven. We have a bank of, well, it's more than 75 cases because we like to swap ones in and out a little bit. But uh, and so really figuring out the basing that on the curriculum that's been determined by the Royal College so that we reflect what um, learning milestones they need to achieve there. Um, but also uh, really focusing on communication piece uh, as well as that whole diagnosis and uh, treatment and management of a crisis. Um, but crisis resource management, we get to do all of that honing of that skill set within the simulation um, environment uh, in a really fun way because we get to create all these cases where that are going to bring out those opportunities for our residents to practice those skills and 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 hone them. Um, so you get to be creative and uh, and really think through physiology. Um, you also have to think on your feet because the mm -hmm. residents like to surprise you. Like <laughs> they will be like, "I'm going to give whatever drug they're going to give," and you're like, "Oh." that wasn't one of the 20 pathways I thought of when I programmed the computer for this simulation. <laughs> so in this situation with these uh, comorbidities and this current, you know, set of vital signs and physiological status, how is this patient going to react to that dose of that medication? Um, and then we have to reprogram the computer on a fly to reflect that kind of thing. So it really helps keep my skills sharp as well um, mm -hmm. for uh, how patients respond and also what is the current best, you know, recommended yeah. uh, care for every, all those situations that we. I think you've, you've got, we as a department, you specifically, Justina, you guys have done such a good job with simulation. I think it really is cutting edge in terms of what we're doing now, right? And, and being able to simulate these events that may be rare or dangerous for the patients and being able to, for trainers to practice and get really good at it. So when they actually go to look after mm -hmm. the patients, um, they've done it a few times already in a simulation and it's not the very first time, yeah. right? And so um, I think certainly in, in uh, here, I think uh, the Department of, of Anesthesia and probably Emergency Medicine are the two big uh, yes. simulation mm -hmm. users. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's a really uh, cool thing that we have here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it does. It makes such a big difference in our learning. I've definitely had cases that we've gone through in simulation and then they've happened in real life. And it is very reassuring to know, actually, I have done this before mm -hmm. in the simulated scenario where I received feedback from my excellent preceptors about things that I needed to change for next time. And then I remember those things and then I can do those things and provide better care. So I think that's a really important thing that we do. That's really nice to hear. Yeah, that's a true story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We've talked to Dr. Koshinsky about what you do outside of being an anesthesiologist and obviously other roles that you have in your life that you discuss, like being a mom. But um, Dr. Shaw, you also do other things outside that you're sort of alluding yeah. to, like some of the leadership things. Um, but I oh, think yes. one of the major things that yeah. I know about that you do is um, the quality assurance role that you take on for the province. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I do lots of things. I'm a dad of two. Uh, I love playing disc golf. That's uh, that's one of my dreams is uh, to make it on the pro tour. We'll see. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's uh, and and certainly the quality improvement piece um, is huge. I think 
Uh, it's always been something I've been interested in. It's when I'm in somewhere, whether it be the residency program or somewhere else, I'm always like, oh, you know, this would be really cool. It would make things better. And I realized there was actually a job title for that. I thought, you know, this is quality improvement, apparently. And so um, the interesting thing about uh, my role is I'm here to help support um, everybody who has brilliant ideas, much better ideas than me. Um, but I'm here to support them in figuring out how can we look at this problem? How do we try out the solutions that that my fellow colleagues or residents have? And how do we implement it into our healthcare system? And how do we make it better, right? Mm-hmm. And I think everybody, you know, this is always in the news, right? That our healthcare system's in crisis. Um, and certainly, I don't think that I can fix it all on my own. Uh, but certainly, you know, being able to pick out pieces here and there that we can look at and how do we improve the um, patient's experience? How do we improve a resident or learner's experience, uh, our fellow colleagues' experiences? Um, how do we make it a better system for people? And I think that's kind of what I'm most passionate about um, is how to make that positive change happen, right? And it's never easy. You know, sometimes people are going, oh, why didn't we change things? This is terrible. But, you know, you have to be able to collect that information and show people Mm -hmm. that, oh, look, we've actually improved um, patient care in this setting. And, you know, what are your concerns about these change? How can we make it uh, better for you as well to, to to do that. And sometimes people just need time to vent and other times people have great ideas about how to make things even better. So um, I think that is something that's fundamental in our department. It's not something I, I've started. It started far, far you know, before me is that people started this quality improvement process. And it's amazing that we can you know, sit back, reflect on things that we've done or, or things that have happened and be able to say, you know, this may not have gone the best. How can we can we look at it? Can we figure out, you know, how we could have done better and then take those ideas forward and say, what kind of system changes can we make, you know, to make this process better? How do we avoid doing the same mistakes again uh, that we committed in the past? Right. And so um, that uh, that really kind of drives uh, drives my passion for for quality improvement. I do have mm-hmm. to say all the changes that uh you have assisted to bring about. I I do really appreciate how you're always willing to, when when the change is being implemented and we're going through the growing pains phase yeah. where we're grumbling about, oh, <laughs> why yeah, is this, this here? Before. Yeah. Um, you're always willing to listen with uh, and just be that ear to hear us vent as we're processing that change and learning to adapt and integrate it into our practice mm-hmm. without getting defensive or or worked up about the fact that, you know, I'm wigging out that I have to deal with two Pixas, Pixis machines at RUH and I don't like it. <laughs> um, for just for example, uh, I really do appreciate the way you just oh, calmly thank you. listen to you know, the mock outrage uh, when, uh, <laughs> when change is underfoot as it yes. becomes second yeah. nature. Yeah. Yes, because change, yeah. change is hard. Change is super hard. And, yeah. and I mean, I think that that's part of what I took away from my master's is, uh, it, you know, everybody sees things differently. And if you stop and listen and, and see their perspective, um, that goes a long ways to, to understanding things and, and certainly uh, discover myself that, you know, even if you think it's a good idea, it may not actually be a great idea when you start looking at it from other people's perspectives. So uh-huh. I appreciate that. That is one of my goals is always to try and be as open and, and listening as possible. And uh, doesn't always mean I'm going to change my mind on stuff, but certainly I think it's important to hear what, what everybody mm-hmm. thinks about, uh, mm-hmm. about change. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that's, uh, you know, it goes back to this uh, department and the residency training program itself as well. I think that's one of the things that drew me here um, was uh, how willing the, the there's people in the department, how willing they were to try new things. And so, um, you know, we built a, a built a separate website for residents and, and uh, how we organize our lives as residents at that point in time. And and uh, they were willing to give it a try and, and it's continued on and it's yes. uh, grown into something, you know, even bigger and better and something even like this where we're doing a podcast it's something that's uh uh what makes our program unique in that people are willing to take that risk to take to to explore those opportunities and uh and i think that's how you get innovation how you get growth how you create new ideas and how you become better Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And we also have um, quite a few members of our department that conduct research as well, in addition to clinical duties. And we have um, one person in our department who is a clinician scientist who um, I think maybe half of his role is doing research and the other half is um, clinical work. So um, this person always has many research projects on the go, but lots of members of our department have um, either quality improvement projects or research projects that they're doing in, in addition to their uh, clinical duties, which yeah. is great. Yeah. And I think that uh, uh, that's something that makes our department unique as well is that you can f- pursue your interests, right? For, mm-hmm. for some people, it's not research, it's something else, whether it's simulation, whether it's mm-hmm you know, tech, whether it's social media and, 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 you know, all all sorts of other unique things that are out there, education, Mm -hmm. um, the department really supports that you're not forced to go down, uh, you know, you have to do research because we need more research output. Well, there's other ways to grow and, and to, um, uh, to expand what we do outside of clinical practice. Absolutely. Um, and I think something that you already spoke to Dr. Chow was about, um, uh, the leadership that is required to be an anesthesiologist. And I think you've also spoken to that a little bit, Dr. Kuczynski, but I think it's worth mentioning again that we do take on quite a leadership role within the hospital. Um, we do a lot of advocacy for our patients in the OR. Um, if anything was to happen that was unplanned in the OR, we take on a leadership role for our patients. And then also outside of the operating room in times of trauma or codes, we often act as leaders in those types of situations to make sure that our patients are getting the best care that they possibly can. Yeah, and I think we have a very unique perspective on what happens in the hospital. Um, Most physicians are usually isolated to one ward or the operating room or Mm -hmm. one part of the hospital, whereas we work in all parts of the hospital. We see how things are done. And I love that part where you see, oh, they they do something really cool on this ward. Like, Mm -hmm. we should do this at the other ward or at the other hospital. And I think um, that comes with the territory of our work. And I think um, that uh, helps us to, to... transmit some of those ideas um, between each other and be able to share that. And that's come up in, in quality improvement at the uh, Jim Pattison Children's Hospital. They had a big day to, to discuss how they can improve on quality improvement. And um, anesthesia was there representing and sharing ideas about what happens at the other hospitals. And I think that is really cool to be able to um, see those perspectives and to share it and, and be part of that leadership team. Mm-hmm. But it's also nice that we get to um, we get to work at all the hospitals or sites mm-hmm. if we so choose, um, and we get to see that perspective as well. Um, just by going, like I have an equal, technically I have an equal split um, in my clinical duties. So I spend four months at St. Paul's, four months at City Hospital, and four months at RUH, um, where they're assigned my home home hospital for the month. Um, but then I also do obstetrical anesthesia and I work at the freestanding surgical centers as well and sometimes go out to Humboldt um, as well as I do locums up in uh, the Northwest Territories uh, a couple of weeks a year. So being able to be that mobile and move around to all of those uh, places, it really keeps everything interesting, but you get to see how other people do stuff, um, like you alluded to. Uh, and that does, I find, help with um, problem solving when mm-hmm. you get back into other situations mm-hmm. because you can be like, oh, right, we did it that way over here. Um, maybe that will work again. Um, and that can be on a broad system-wide scale or mm-hmm. it can be just based on that patient that's in front of you right now um, and what you have to do yeah. for them. For sure. mm-hmm. From a resident's perspective, it's really nice to be able to work with somebody new every day because like we mentioned earlier, everybody has their own little way of doing things sometimes. And so then you can always pick and choose, you know, things that you learn from other people and then pass it along to either your co-residents or another staff that you're working with that next day as well. And I think that's a really great way for knowledge to get transmitted both within the department and then also within other um, wards and, and specialties in the hospital as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I, I love finding out about new, new things from residents that I work with. Whether it be like, oh, yeah, that's great, or oh, no, they're doing it. Wait a minute. <laughs> well, I, I remember as a resident, I, I was, I had done, you know, I had done a day like the day before of, we're just going to say, lap coles. I had done a slate of lap coles, and the staff I was with the day before, they did 
some type of total intravenous anesthetic technique, so TIVA technique with a certain mixture of medications. And so the following day, I'm with a new staff, but also have a lap appy slate. So essentially the exact same slate. And I'm like, oh, I want to do this again, you know. And the, the day's staff today is like, oh, well, go ahead. But that never works, right? And you're like, <laughs> but it worked perfectly yesterday. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it never works. Yeah, exactly. And then sure enough, for some reason that day, because you have a new staff, yep. even though they're not doing touching any buttons, nope. it, it doesn't work nope. very good. <laughs> that part, I, I don't understand. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But, and that just speaks to how, you know, you can do the same case on four mm-hmm. different people and you, ha- and you have to do something different mm-hmm. for each case because every patient is different. Yep. You know, um, if you have different surgeons, they use different techniques that mm-hmm. required us yep. to do different things. And so even when you think... Um, a slate is going to be like this other day you did before. It never, it is. never is. It never is. And it requires so much communication back and forth with your, with the, whoever the surgical team is that you're working with and the nursing staff um, so that you guys can all work together to provide the guest best care for the patient. Definitely mm-hmm. does. Because mm-hmm. yeah. even when you think you got to figure it out, then your surgeon There's says, a I'm ball. actually going to do it this way today. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, hmm. That's a new way. Yes. <laughs> well, the pull-down menu on the booking software only has so many options. Yes. And the surgeon can uh, throw a twist in that uh, option. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, that communication piece is definitely key um, before giving an anesthetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, yes, it might be a lap appy, but there are various ways, techniques, mm-hmm. um, et cetera, to do any type of surgery. Mm-hmm. And they all have different requirements from us as anesthesiologists or different critical points in the surgery where we may have to do something different. So mm-hmm. definitely that communication piece is huge. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that um, that's maybe a misconception about anesthesiology that people feel that we don't really have to talk to people or that we're not good communicators. But in fact, you have to be a very succinct and good communicator because you have to be able to act quickly in moments of crisis and communicate with the team in moments of crisis, but then also communicate in small teams all day, all day long and communicate with your patient as well. Absolutely. The the most common example that we always compare ourselves to is the airline industry, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We work as a team in the operating room and it's so critical uh, that we communicate clearly with each other. And most days your plane takes off and lands and everything's yeah. good. But every so often you run into a crisis and that's when what you train for and what you're prepared for. And so um, it's a very good comparison with that airline industry and the operating Absolutely. room together. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, was there anything that you guys wanted to add about maybe misconceptions that you had about anesthesiology before that now that you've experienced it, your mind has changed to educate our, our viewers. Good question. I guess one thing for me is there's a lot more hands-on work than I really thought there was. And so starting IVs, lots of lines like we talked about, intubations, um, and then you're always on your feet and sort of thinking on your feet in the moment, especially in those crisis situations. So um, those were some of the other things that really drew me to the specialty that maybe I didn't quite realize um, going into anesthesia. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the biggest misconceptions that I hear from patients that I think is is that they think we just leave after we put them to sleep, <laughs> yeah. right? Yes. They're like, oh, yes. and then you come back and wake me up later right and it's like no I'm there with you the whole time I'm there monitoring your heart your breathing monitoring all sorts of things that's happening during the surgery you might lose a lot of blood we might have to give you blood products Um, we're there the whole time keeping an eye on things making sure that uh, you're doing well and that you're going to recover well after the surgery so I think that that's a that's one I wanted to get out there for sure yeah that's a very key one Mm -hmm. yeah and on that uh thought as well. I guess prior to going in, I didn't, not that it's something I actually thought about, but it can be, we are often in a situation where we are, well, we're always beholden to that patient and their care. Um, But depending on what else is going on and the availability of other staff, if that's a 10-hour case, that might actually mean that you do not leave the operating room for that 10 hours. Mm -hmm. So that's nothing, no eating, no drinking, Mm -hmm. no going to the bathroom. 
Um, and so that planning your day so that you can manage your own physiology while still maintaining your mental acuity to be able to care for that patient and respond to the potential crisis um, is something that I most certainly did not appreciate uh, before going into the specialty. Mm-hmm. Now, Justina does have lots of friends, so if she was in a 10-day, 10-hour <laughs> day case, I would hope, uh, I would I would check in on her and yeah. see if she needs a break. And Most of the time you know, it yeah, does happen, yeah, but there are, there are yeah, situations are. where... Yeah. Um, you can get stuck. Yeah. Yes, especially like you were um, referring to things that happen in the middle of the night. If you're in a um, a really intense uh, trauma mm-hmm. case, um, and you often have lots of help, all hands on deck, right? In those mm-hmm. types of situations, and and if you can't leave the room, you need to be mm-hmm. there for your patient. So you are, and you do definitely get into this mindset where you're just present in the room, and then when everything's done. You're like, wow, I'm really hungry. Yes. <laughs> I haven't gone to the bathroom in many hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of dehydrated. Yeah, a little yeah. dry. There's a headache. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. all of that doesn't come until things calm down. Yeah, right? yeah, like when you're in the yeah. moment, yeah. all of that you don't really pay Absolutely. attention to. And then mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's been five hours later. And yeah. all of a sudden, all these feelings are, are coming in once things mm-hmm. are calming down. Once things yeah. are calming down. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I think one of the other things that you also alluded to before, Dr. Krasinski, was that um, often our days start the night before. And I just wanted to really reiterate that because sometimes patients are so shocked when I know all about all their medical conditions when I'm just first meeting them. But it's because we and and Sebastian and I know this very well. Sometimes we spend hours <laughs> looking <laughs> yeah. up our patients the night before and researching about all their different medical conditions and all the different medications that they're on. And sometimes I've even gone as far as to call people the night before because I see that they're on a tricky medication that they should actually not take the morning of surgery. Um, so for the people that I phoned out there, I'm yeah. sorry to bug you the night before your surgery. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we do lots of yeah. work the night before. And that's great to mention. And, and for people who've had surgery, they know sometimes they have to come in and, and actually talk to the anesthesiologist or the internal medicine physician, uh, you know, a, a week or two before their surgery in a PAC mm-hmm. visit. Uh, and there we go over complex patients or complex procedures, mm-hmm. uh, help them better prepare uh, for the surgery. Um, we're kind of moving towards that digital age so people may be getting you know links to websites or other digital videos to watch to be able to prepare them uh, for before the surgery and so I think that's a that's a big piece uh, that's really starting to grow for anesthesia and then even after the surgery so again because I do a lot of regional anesthesia you guys all know I either if it's just me I'll call the patients that I blocked the next day or the day after just to make sure things are going well Um, and uh, so oftentimes patients are surprised that their anesthesiologist is calling but I've never had anybody upset at me for for calling them so they've always been uh, really appreciative that we're following up on on them and I think that's a that's an important piece uh, for us to to explore and I think hopefully that's one area of quality improvement I'd like to go into as well is um, following up on our patients seeing how can we do better how was their experience you know during surgery and what what are things that we can do uh, to better improve that for next time lots of people also I don't think they understand why they have to see us in a pack clinic <laughs> pre-op mm-hmm. and sometimes I I when I'm talking to them and they ask me, like, I don't understand why I have to be here. And, mm-hmm. and I, I often say, I'm like, I say, well, can you imagine that you're walking along a cliff? Okay. And on the downside of the cliff, there's some rocks and some waves. And if you were to fall, it would be a very bad thing. You know, you might break both your legs. Maybe you'd break your black or maybe you would die if you were to fall down that cliff. Um, And surgery and anesthetic places an extreme stress on your body. Mm -hmm. Um, And so part of our job is to mitigate that stress and the impact it has on your physiology. Whereas if you're coming for surgery and you already have a heart that doesn't work well or your kidneys don't work well or your lungs are damaged, if you think of that cliff as crumbling, as a crumbling face and you're walking along the edge, if you have all of these health conditions that weaken that cliff and make it more likely that you're going to slip and fall to the jagged rocks and the waves crashing below, 
Mm-hmm. The anesthesiologist actually has a life belt around your waist and they're holding you back from the edge of that cliff, trying throughout that surgery, before the surgery and after to mm-hmm. keep you from crashing onto those rocks and being swept away by those waves. And so the PAC clinic lets us be those structural engineers that shore up that cliff face and try to make it a little bit stronger so it's less likely to crumble out from under you when we're putting you through that stress of surgery. And that's the re- that's how I explained to them that that's the reason they're coming there. So we can shore up that cliff face and try to make their heart condition as stabilized as possible, their lungs as stable stabilized as possible. Mm -hmm. So it makes our job of holding on to that life belt to keep them from crashing to those rocks below more likely that we're going to be able to succeed to get them through safely. And that's a that's a great analogy. And I think, you know, being in a province like Saskatchewan, it's so big, we do recognize that some patients have to travel very far to come to these clinics. And so one of the research projects being done virtual pack uh, visits that we're working on now so that patients don't have to travel uh, or the appropriate patients who fit under the criteria to have a virtual pack don't have to travel all the way down to Saskatoon to see us Mm -hmm. before the day of their surgery. Or uh, another example uh, with uh, patients who are coming for open heart surgery, we're working on information pamphlets and we have a new website, uh, heartsk.ca, that patients will be able to go on there and be able to see videos and information uh, before before their visit and be able to uh, be much more prepared for the day of the surgery as well. So lots of kind of new things that are coming out to to help prepare patients for surgery too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much to everyone for coming out and chatting with us about what anesthesiologists do. Hopefully, um, for those of you that have listened to this episode, you've gained much more knowledge about all of the things that we do on a day-to-day basis. And uh, we will we'll be there for your next surgery, your next procedure to make sure that you are safe and comfortable. Awesome. Well, thanks for having us. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah thanks, thank you. You've been listening to Airway Breathing Conversation, a podcast hosted and presented by the anesthesiology residents at the University of Saskatchewan. Please note that while this podcast is run by healthcare professionals, it is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. We are very thankful to our guests for taking the time to share their wisdom with us this episode, and a very special thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Don't forget to follow us and our associated USASC Anesthesia accounts on social media. You can find all our social media links on our Linktree page at linktr.ee slash abc underscore podcast. You can also find the department's social media links on their Linktree page at linktr.ee slash usask underscore anesthesia. We'll see you next episode, but until then, stay calm, take a breath, and always remember your ABCs.